What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 74 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from MikeSlossons.com, and my co-host will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. It's the first episode of 2017, and we have a ton of stuff to get to. Mike and I will be discussing our all-time favorite set of hi-hats. Our featured artist this time is none other than Mr. Benny Greb. In our gear review section, I'll be checking out the Audio-Technica AT2020 USB-I microphone. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Ooh. <laughs> Biscuit. Now, do you yeah. know that to get that snap this time, I said three, two, one. And then in my head, I went like that. Like that snap. snap. Yep. <laughs> Good stuff. How are you, bud? I am doing great. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, Happy New Year to you. How was your New Year's? Did you do anything? I played a gig, of course. Oh, man. That's what you do. <laughs> yeah. That's what you do. Now, was it one of those gigs where you're actually the band that's playing at midnight, or were you done early? No, we played. Uh, we did like a two-hour set from ten to midnight, and then took a little break, had some food, and then played till one thirty, and we were we were done. God, yeah, keeps you young, I guess, because I'm I'm a grandpa, man. Now I go to bed at like ten thirty. Uh, <laughs> actually, made it to midnight this time for the first time in a long time. My wife and I went to our favorite restaurant. There's this tiny, tiny restaurant in uh, very close to where we live and where our studio is, but it's like a very I don't know. I don't. It's a very chef's table type restaurant without the prices. Okay, cool. Um, so, you, so the chef comes out and meets you and everything. It's just really cool, quaint place. Well, they had a prefixed menu for New Year's Eve, so reservations only. They only have about ten tables in there. So we went there, had a nice little dinner, um, and then we went and saw Star Wars uh, from. Oh, I saw that yesterday. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so what did you think? I thought it was great. I thought it was gritty and dirty the way that um, I'd wanted it to be. So it's not like a, a little kids movie. Um, and I thought it, I thought it was as good as it could be. I think the two characters that are not real humans that are CG, uh, yeah. the last one that we won't give any spoilers, but the last one kind of bugged me. Yeah, um, it bugged me too. I was like, yeah, come on. I, well, what right. bugged me wasn't just the character. What bugged me was the fact that it was the last scene in the movie. And it's like, wait, that's how I'm going to leave. I've been feeling yeah. good this whole time. I got <laughs> over the dude that was fake. It was like, all right, I guess. Because he'd probably be three to four hundred years old now. You got to bring him back. I get it. I got over that. But then on that last scene, I was like, "Oh, don't leave me like that." It's been a really good movie, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I thought I thought it was good, man. I, I thought. Um, I, I do think though, if you aren't a Star Wars fan, especially of the first three, so what is that, four, five, and six? Yeah, right. If you aren't a fan of those, you probably shouldn't see this movie because Amber left going like. Wait, what the hell? Like, yeah, and I'm like, I, I well, you don't understand. Yeah, if you if you don't if you don't know what this is leading into, you wouldn't know. And so, um, but I, I thought on its own, I thought it was really well done. I thought it was directed really well. I thought the vibe, like I said, the the grit of it is something that was missing in the first 300 Star Wars films. Yeah, and yeah. so, so yeah, I thought it was cool. And I thought the other thing that I love is the last two Star Wars films. The, to me, the best thing about both of them is they have female leads, young female leads, and yeah. I love that. And they hold their own. You never even yeah. question that they're female at all. And I think that that leads into you guys have a female on the cover of Modern Drummer right now. Yeah, Annika, exactly. Not Annika, but Annika's also blown up in her own right. And I just think it's a really cool time because I was thinking, wow. So we had Hunger Games, which had four movies of a young female lead. Yep. Then the last two Star Wars, which – we already know going in they're going to be the biggest movies in the world at the time have female leads. I just think it's it's awesome. Well, you know what my favorite movie uh, series is that has a female lead is Resident Evil. Oh yeah, and that's uh, Mila Jovovich. One. Yeah, oh, she's it's, a yeah. badass. She she's is. A badass. I saw her 
as a singer when she was 17. I remember that. She was kind yeah. of creepy. Her music was pretty creepy. Yeah, she was like out there with Tori Amos and everybody else. <clears throat> yeah. But there was a I saw her and Beck in Sacramento. Beck was like 17, she was 16. Interesting. And they were both unknown artists and I was like, "Wow, that chick's hot and he's got talent." Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then she became an actress and he's one of the most influential artists of all time. So, yeah, uh, yeah it was good stuff, man. Very good stuff. Well, I'm glad you're safe, glad everyone made it through uh through New Year's and from somebody living in California, and it's just the new world we live in. I was just happy to not wake up on January 1st and hear any horror stories of something happening with the ball dropping mm-hmm. and terror. So it, it was great. Just, just the Holly weed sign. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that was amazing. Welcome to California. <laughs> Yay, Cali. Oh, amazing. <laughs> but it, it was really cool. I mean, I don't know. I would assume it's even more intense where you are since you're there but here we were hearing nothing other than how much the state of new york and the city of new york city was putting into the security and the safety of that event and i just thought that was awesome i hate that it's necessary but it was it was great you know what's kind of weird is i mean they have to publicize it to make people around the country think it's safe but it's like that every year i mean there's cops everywhere it's really it i mean it's i think just being be here for on the East Coast so long, it's kind of just like, yeah, it is what it is. A lot of people, people are going to get killed every day. I mean, stuff happens, you know. It's like, <laughs> that is the best East Coast attitude ever. Oh, that was awesome. You know, so yeah, I like when I saw that, all these news stories about extra security, I'm like, that's just making people, you know, in the middle of the country feel good. But it's yeah. like that all the time. There's that's cops a good point. Everywhere. That's what made me feel good was all that. I was like, oh, cool. They've got that many people. So, well, no matter what, it was great to wake up and just hear nothing bad happened there. Obviously, around the world, it's not always the same. So uh, we just hope, I think you and I are both in the same boat. East Coast, West Coast, guys, just at some point, just live your own life. Just be happy for the sake of being happy. I mean, yeah, right. you know, but it is, it is a complicated world, no doubt. Now let's uncomplicate it with gear talk <laughs> although this topic is pretty complicated for me to answer so Oof. Don't you now i just and- i just threw it out there and didn't even give you a chance to say <laughs> no we're not covering that so uh the topic that i threw to mike in an email at about <clears throat> midnight last night so he wouldn't have a chance to respond was all-time favorite set of hi-hats Oof. yeah now you don't have to just pick one you can maybe walk me through your history because i know for me i definitely have a history of favorite hi-hats of that part of my life where it was like, that's just what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a time in my life where 12 inch hats, I, I yep. had them on my kit as my main set of hats. Cause I was in love with that. And if yep. somebody mentioned 15 inch hats, I would be like, those are crash symbols. You're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. And then flash forward 10 years later, I'm like 12 inch hats. What, what is that? A toy? Get that away from splash me. Splash symbols. Get that <laughs> off my kit. <laughs> uh, so give me some of your favorites. <clears throat> Uh, well, I mean, I think I could I could boil it down to when I first started playing drum set, I only had really crappy cymbals. Like it was okay. the last thing I bought were nice cymbals. So I I would go to pawn. My parents would take me to pawn shops and buy like twenty dollar whatever they had. So my hi hats early on, the first set of hi hats were like pearl brass hi hats. Yeah. You know, they just they sound like like they do not sound like hi hats. They sound interesting. Mm-hmm. I wish I still had them. I yeah, I, I, I had the pearl chi- matching china. So yeah, it's really yeah. weird. I, the, the, the crash was cool because you could flip it inside out and it sounded like a china. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. So anyway, I had these like real kind of papery, gnarly hi hats. I bet they and, were pretty cool. 
Yeah, but it wasn't. If you could go back to them now. Yeah, exactly. Now that you know how to use them. Yeah. But but I knew that that wasn't the sound that I wanted. And the first time I played a real set of hi hats was fifth grade. Our band we had like a county band concert where all the schools performed. Okay. And I played drum set on that first concert, so I got to use the high school's drum set at that school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they had a set of 14-inch Zildjian New Beats. And as soon as I hit them, I was like, that is what hi-hats are supposed to sound like. <laughs> I'm playing Forever. on an album. Stuck uh. in my head. They had a Thomas Wingstar kit with ebony heads on it. I'll never yeah. forget. They must have had the Remo muffle things on the underside of the heads because they just sounded like yeah. perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I totally remember those. That that big yeah. plastic ring that had the foam inside. Yeah, but it's invisible. It's on the under, right. underside Right, it's on of the, the inside. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the toms just sounded like... Like a like a record, they were just perfect. Oh. But the hi hats, I mean that that started my love affair with the hi hats, in particular the new beats. So, and I've heard you know Peter Erskine use them, and they just sound amazing. Sean Pelton uses them, and they sound amazing. So if I had to pick one set of hi hats, it would forever be the fourteen inch new beats. Wow, nice man. Yeah. Let's see. I think I've had probably the same desire out of my hi hats for the last maybe ten years. So that crosses. That's four to five years of Peisty and four to five years of Minel. And even though I have my flavor of the months, you know, the, the 15 inch extra uh, 15 inch extra dry dual hats would be a flavor of the month for me. Yeah, that um, didn't last very long for you. Well <laughs> I it was it got a good six months. That's a good, that's a long run for me, man. Um, well one thing that happened was while I was using that, Minel released the Mike Johnston symbol pack without Hey, yeah. Like talking to me, so and that was your old setup. Your that was my hi-hats. fourteen inch hats, my extra yeah. dries, and and actually when it came out, we actually they did you know say hey, this is going to be a pack. Are you cool with this? And I, I said yeah, but I'm using the fifteen inch duels right now. But even then, I told them, but if I had to choose one set of hi hats, it would be the fourteen inch extra dries at the time. Yeah, but as far as what I was saying about my uh, Minel and Peisty, in Peisty, I was playing their. You might even know. I can't remember if – what is their – okay, so they have the Signature Series, but then there was this like more jazzy series. I think it was called the Traditional Series. Is that right? Um, yeah. I can't that, – I think that's it. Yeah, yeah. The, the Peisty Traditionals. Yep. Well, I had 14-inch thin hats out of that, okay, and those yeah. were like my favorite set. And now I'm playing the 14-inch Byzance Jazz thin hats, which are very similar to that. Okay. Um, and so I think that's that's kind of it's one step above being papery, mm-hmm. right? So it's not total papery. It's not like nineteen fifties old yeah. symbols, but it's but it's also not uh, right in your face thick symbols. So right now, I would say yeah, it's tough. One set of hats. I just kind of hoped you'd answer this. I didn't really <laughs> give it much thought. <laughs> well, I was thinking like one set of hats that I would use for the rest of my life for any gig. Mm-hmm. It would have to be yeah. the new beats. But for the sound that I I love to play and the feel, it's it's different. I mean, I have a yeah. old vintage Zildjians before they were called anything. They're just real thin. Like you said, they're more papery, a little more hollow. Right. And I just love the way they feel, the way they sound. Yeah. But I could not use that on a, with a rock band. They would, right. they would shred think, to pieces. I think if I had to recommend my students a set of hi-hats, like the all-around hi-hats, especially if they were they were leaning the artistic side, I would probably tell them the Benny Greb hats. The, mm-hmm. the sand hats, you know, they're, they're as artistic as Benny needs them to be, but they kind of just sound like hi-hats. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're really good. I mean, 
a lot of times when people are like, hey, I want to get your setup, I always tell them like, okay, well, you better be prepared to play by yourself. My art, my setup is very artistic. It's very, uh, I guess, selfish. All, all the symbols are chosen not to compliment anyone else other than myself. Where with Benny's hi-hats, I think they fit in music really well. So mm-hmm. probably, I mean, for me, I think I would still lean towards the 14-inch extra dry hats. And that's what Benny was playing before he made his sand hats. I mean, that's really where it all started for him. So uh, those hats are perfect for me. And then I think if it was recommended to a student, it would probably be Benny Greb's sand hats, which is odd because I didn't even think about this honestly until just now. But Benny is our featured artist oh, right. today. Uh, so, <laughs> eh, good God, I hate when things like that happen. Uh, oh, man, I want to start charging you for your minor plugs. <laughs> I know. My goodness gracious. Hey, don't worry about it. We get to review an Audio-Technica mic that I'm endorsed by later. <laughs> Aquarian heads rule. All right. So... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so as far as wrapping up the hi-hat thing, I think hi-hats are like snares as far as I think people should have maybe at a minimum two sets of hi-hats. Um, because like you said, genre-wise, there really isn't just that one set that is perfect for everything. But there are the one sets like what you mentioned and what I was talking about, which it's like this will probably get me through most things. Um, and, yeah. and really, I mean, if you guys haven't tried this, if you need your hi-hats to cut a little more, just flip them over. Play the bottom right. on the top, and then instantly yeah. they cut more, and they have more stick definition. So um, so there you go. Well, all right. So let's get into our featured artist. It is Mr. Benny Greb, the one and only. So Benny came on my radar. I honestly don't know how many years ago. It was before we opened this place. But the video that I saw that alerted me to his existence in general was – I believe from the Montreal Drum Festival. It was on YouTube. Mm-hmm. That was the first, and he had the full like Weckl setup: bongos over the hi hat, yeah. uh, multi pedals. You know, he had he was doing the 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 fusiony thing, and I saw it, and I just never seen that style of drumming have so much pocket and groove to it. Um, yeah. Not that Weckl doesn't groove and, and Vinny. I mean, uh, those are some of the greatest drummers in the world. But this had like Steve Gadd pocket, but yeah. with the facility of my favorite fusion drummers. Yep. And I just never seen that before. When did he come on your radar? Uh, actually, just I just looked up the video that that I remember <laughs> first seeing, and it was ten years ago. Okay. Um, so he kind of came on the scene the same time I entered the industry as well. So it was, okay. he, I think he's a year younger than me. Um, so I remember meeting him at one of my first NAMM shows, or maybe it was PASIC. I don't remember which it was, but he was uh, – Thomas Lang was taking him around and introducing him to everybody. Oh, really? So it was – you know, we're just like, here's Benny. He's a new – and he was handing out like a promo DVD with some solos and stuff on it. Okay. So my, you know, my mind immediately went to, okay, this guy must be another super chops drummer, does all kinds of crazy stuff. I'll check it out eventually, whatever, because it's, it's, you know, it's not my taste, but right. I admire sure. that type of drumming. And as somebody at Modern Drummer, you just have to be in the know anyways. Exactly. Might and be somebody to cover. And a lot of the videos that were out there were like the one you were saying where he was really playing like solos, really complex solos. Uh, but was when I, I – I guess it was when I first got YouTube on my work computer and I found a video called Just Groovin'. Groove, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like it's him just playing, playing a bunch of Steve Jordan-type grooves on a bunch of different snare drums and stuff. And I saw that. I was like, this guy's got something extra special. Yep. Like, He's he knows what it's what it's all about to just lay it down so that he became you know one of my favorite drummers right away when I saw that clip so I'll include that link as well as the one you're mentioning if I can sure. find it in the show notes but just grooving it's him just playing a bunch of different styles on the several different kits what impressed me was his sound 
Yeah, <clears throat> like his his snare drum sound is always just just perfect, and it's some of the drums are really high, some of the drums are really low, but it's just his his touch is just gorgeous, real big, thick, you know, fat sound. Yeah, um, and chops for days. So he he kind of became like the epitome of of a of a modern drummer for me, a guy who can play solos like like anybody. But when it comes to just laying it down and playing a song, you can do that too. Yeah. So it was probably around the same time as the Montreal video you saw. He played Pasic for the first time. Okay. And it was it was uh, spine tingling. Like his soloing was just so musical and so powerful, and and he was able to tell a story in a real effective way. See, that's yeah. what I think makes Benny stand out. And if when I see great storytelling drummers that are younger, great young storytellers. I think, man, you must have been a huge fan of Benny or you must be a huge fan of Benny because Mm -hmm. he was my first example of a drum set clinician having patience. I've really never seen that. I kind of was used to seeing, you know, honestly, even Dennis Chambers, when he's playing his simple stuff, it's 20 times harder than anything I'll ever be able to play. So even though he's laying (laughs) back, it wasn't laying back to me. But Benny was tangible. Benny played, you know, 70% of the things that Benny would play made me think I could do that. The yeah. only problem was I wouldn't have chosen to do that because I'm not mature enough to make those choices. But the drumming wasn't otherworldly. You know, I mean, maybe in the beginning, some of that stuff, like I said, with the Montreal thing, he was more into that thing. Yeah, but by there's like multi-pedals and stuff. Right. But real by kind the, of tastefully. But still, I mean, even when you think about like the, <clears throat> to me, the Benny Ostinato is when he's playing constant 16th notes with his feet but because of how he's moving over to the hi-hat and the double bass pedal it sounds more like a samba right um even that was like wait a minute he's literally just playing alternating 16th notes with his feet he just figured out a smarter movement of his left Mm -hmm. foot and so that's that's what always made me appreciate benny and, and really look up to him and respect him a lot was he just made great choices and there was, I think, when you're looking for a drum idol, there has to be a tangible distance between you and that idol so that you can say, dude, you just inspired me. I'm actually going to go practice that. When I would see uh, maybe Simon Phillips go bananas, I didn't think, I'm going to go practice that. I thought, what yeah. the hell was that? <laughs> uh, you know, or Jojo Mayer, you know, earlier when he was into that stuff, that distance was too great. But with Benny, th- he just had this great way of making you feel like, I think I could do that if I practiced really hard. It wouldn't yeah. sound like that, but, you know. So I, I I thought that was a very cool thing. And then when his first DVD came out, that yeah. that changed the world. I mean, it changed the game. Like, no one had ever filmed anything for drums like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, JoJo kind of set the bar with his first DVD. Absolutely. Like, yep. that was a production Agreed. level so far beyond the throw a camera in a drum studio and hit record. I mean, right. it was, but then I, I agree, Benny came in and it was just one one notch, you know, better. And in his delivery of the information, whereas JoJo's is pretty scripted, I feel like <clears throat> Benny is able to have a script but make it feel conversational. I think that's in, also one of his gifts is his In a his second language. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, it, his teaching is, is brilliant and, uh, and, even the teaching makes you feel like I'm going to go to the drum set and practice that. How many drum DVDs actually get you to press pause and go practice? That's a really tough yeah. thing to do. I mean, that's been my my life's pursuit has been how do I get you to watch this video on Instagram, YouTube, whatever, and then go to the drum set. And yeah, yeah. Benny Benny is one of the people that got me to go to the drum set and practice. That's um, how I I often when I write reviews of of drum DVDs, that's usually the first thing I I make note of is how quickly do I hit the pause button. 
because <laughs> yeah. it's like how quickly did they hit me with something like, okay, that's enough for today. I've got to yeah. figure out how to do what they said. And right. <clears throat> JoJo's first DVD, it was like within – I don't think I've ever practiced anything beyond the first chapter of that DVD because yeah. it was just so much and so inspiring right away. And same thing with Benny's. It was like, all right, this alphabet thing, it's a cool new way to think of you know just rhythms, subdivisions. Right, and sure. And the new breed and things that have been around forever, but it's just just that idea of of turning it into a, a letter system was just really inspiring. Like, oh, okay, now now it's endless. You're not practicing patterns. You're not practicing figures. You're not practicing ostinatos. You're not practicing technique. You're just right. practicing the letters. You're creating a yeah. language. And I think yeah, it was absolutely. It was really effective. And <clears throat> so I put his DVD, JoJo's DVD, first DVD. And Steve Jordan's, that's like my trifecta. If you have those three DVDs for me, you, there's a lot of other great ones out there, but I don't need any more than that for the production, the the, the information, the way it's delivered, and the yeah. the way that these guys play. It's just so damn inspiring to hear them play. Yeah. They sound so good. And I think you can feel, too, when somebody had 10 minutes of content and then a production company forced them to stretch it out for an hour, and it just goes and goes, and you're like, man – we are good. We we're yeah. done. You know. And then I felt like, even though Benny's is you know a few hours long, I felt like he probably had ten hours and he ran out of time. And they were like, "Look, we can't film anymore." And every you know, I, I let I have probably fifteen DVDs on an iPod um, that's just on loop on my TV in the lobby, and both of Benny's are in there. Both of JoJo's are in there. Both of Todd Zuckerman's are in there, and then it's all modern drummer festivals. The cool thing is whenever I walk into the building and just turn the TV on because it's going 24-7, when I turn it on, whatever part of Benny's DVD it's on, it's a cool part. Yeah. It doesn't matter true. if he's in the forest playing on a log <laughs> or if he's playing with a brass band in the on the middle of a treetop or if he's on a golf course. It's like, oh, that's cool. And I, I usually run to the kit and play something. And I think the other thing that you mentioned, the alphabet thing, was a great example of repackaging current information in a new way. Where, you know, I, I've definitely dealt with some people that have said like, hey, man, you know, Gary Chafee has a linear book. You can't write a linear book. And it's like, <laughs> well, I don't I don't know why. Like these it's I didn't write the same pages. I didn't write the same exercises. And a lot of times people don't go far enough back in the past. So they, they need to be reminded by the current set of instructors that are out there yeah. what these things are. <clears throat> and so uh, you and I have talked many times that. I will still always say I got the bludge from Todd Zuckerman. Yes, I'm well aware of Tony Williams. I know who Vinny <laughs> yeah. Caliota is. I'm, t- I'm sorry. That's the guy that broke it down for me. After that, I went back in time and was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I've heard that a million times. But it, it constantly needs to be re-explained. We can't be like, well, sorry. Someone explained the paradiddle in 1942. I'm out. It's yeah. Like, well, I'm going to have to. And to me, that's the art. In, you have to put it into today's language, today's context. I mean, yep. I think a, a good example of that is Jim Chapin's Advanced Techniques for the Modern Drummer. I mean, if that's that's a classic because it was the first kind of jazz independence book. But I wouldn't say it's the best out of what's right. out there now. I mean, there's right. so many incredible books on that topic with slight variations. And, you know, Ari Honig has one that would, you know, his systems book that would take you 10 years to master. And he touches on things that no one else has touched on the middle triplet note. I mean, it's like every every jazz independence book skips over the middle note of the right. triplet. Yeah, yeah. So I think it, you have to. I welcome it. I mean, I don't want to see like carbon copies. That no, that doesn't do anything for me. But you know, Benny's stuff. It took. I mean, it's 
how can you trademark subdivisions, first of all? I mean, right, exactly. It's in the Alfred book. It's in Haskell Har. I mean, if you look at Haskell Har's drum method and the Alfred drum method, you can see that it's just a, a revamp of the same material, same it's, curriculum. I think once you understand that there is a thing called the grid system, after that, it's like, okay, well, I still need to get people to understand it. So yeah. that is where the art as an educator comes in. And as a teacher, I'm telling you, Benny can teach his ass off, and it's and I'm and I'm always having to remind myself, oh my god, that's a second language. Now I understand that <laughs> as Americans, we're just kind of stupid with the language thing, but it's still pretty impressive to me. If somebody said, "Hey, we just need you to film this DVD real quick," do you mind doing it in German? I'd be like, "What? <laughs> How am I supposed to express myself? I can't even." So I think it's uh, it's awesome. And his the good thing is when you when you see great education. You're kind of assuming that the demo of that product, as far as the drumming, is going to be a little not not up to snuff because the guy's teaching so well or the girl's teaching so well. And the cool thing with Benny was he would teach and you would totally understand everything. And then he would demo it and you're like, oh, my God, you're one of the best drummers in the world. And that yeah. was – to me, that was a very new thing. I hadn't seen that before when his first DVD came out. And I was like, wow, that's incredible because for the first few years that I followed him, I only saw him play. And then he contacted me um, kind of out of the blue. I think, I think he got my number through Johnny Rab. And so this is – seven or eight years ago now when we first opened and he was like, I'm going to be in America. Can I teach a camp at your place? And I had mm. just opened, we had just done our first year of camps and I said, yeah, that'd be great. And so he did a camp here and that's how we kind of became friends. And then him being here was really the biggest push for me to move to Minel because while he was here, I was still doing my live lesson broadcast and everything. And his kit was here with his symbols. And so that was my first chance to ever play Minel symbols was playing his kit every day for a week. And then, uh, yeah, and then he said, hey, look, that family that you're always talking about, that love between you and your students you're always talking about, that's what Minel is. So if you do love the symbols, you should probably reach out to him. And I still was like, no, not a chance in hell. Pisces for life. <laughs> and uh, we just we fought each other nonstop. He's like, your symbols hurt my ears. And I'm like, your symbols look like trash can lids. And we just fought nonstop uh, in, in a positive way. But then when he left, I was like, God dang, these things sound really good. Yeah, and, especially and I, for solos and, and clinic situations exactly. because they don't – I mean I think Pisces are designed for being applied in a musical in, – with in a band. Like they, yeah, they're designed to cut through a band and, and – and sound great on recordings and which they do yeah and and but there's but if you listen to it by themselves there's some slight funky frequencies that that are there because they have to be there in order to cut through but when you're just listening to them isolated it might not be the most pleasant thing in the world whereas yeah. vinyl i think has a little bit more of that just sounds good by itself i've never used them in a situation with a rock band so i don't know how they cut yeah, I mean, obviously, I wouldn't use the ones I'm using now. You know, they, I would yeah. use probably their their traditional series. Um, but but yeah, I mean, you know, getting to spend time with him every day, getting to watch him with his students, <clears throat> you know, he's just an amazing individual. And his new DVD is incredible. Uh, the Art and Science of Groove. If you guys haven't checked that out, check that out as well. That to me, um, man, I don't know how to say it, but. That's a scary topic. I've been teaching yeah. pretty much since I was 17 on the drums. Uh, so I've been teaching for 23 years nonstop, and I've been doing the <clears throat> teaching to camera thing for about 10 years now. And to teach something like groove, touch, and feel and actually create lesson concepts around it is almost impossible. And yeah. that's why if you guys go to your <clears throat> local music store and look for a groove and feel book, and you will not find one. 
Yeah, I mean they that's graduate exist. level. That's graduate level stuff. That's yeah. Not, that's not high school. That's not undergrad. No. That's, that's no, master's that's... degree, doctorate <laughs> level concepts. Yeah, <clears> and know. even then, it's still confusing as all hell. And yeah, so, I mean that's that's the missing puzzle piece for for most drummers is yeah. you know how do I know if this feels good? How do I know if this sounds good? How do I how know? do I practice it more how than do anything? I practice. How do I get my time to be better? How do I get my groove to be better? Yeah, without you know because it's it's. It's mystical because there's so much ear training involved, and yeah. a lot of times it—I mean—it takes time and effort to train your ears. And he, some of the exercises he put in that second DVD. I mean, you—I think we talked about it before. You have to practice them. You can't just watch it and be better yeah. from watching it. You Absolutely. have to practice them and and practice a lot. And and you're probably going to be like, "Why am I practicing this for a long time?" Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's like the kaleidoscope just comes into focus, and you're yeah. like, "Shoot, I can hear my bass drum flaming with my hi hat now." I can mm-hmm. hear it. I'm not just questioning it or waiting to look on the computer or see if yeah. it lines up. I think that one of the things that that DVD <clears throat> will do for a lot of people is it will get them to realize whether or not they want to work on it because they'll they'll understand like, wait a minute, so I'd have to practice that? I just thought if I played long enough, eventually it would just happen. And it's yeah. like, no, the guys that you're looking up to, the masters of time, they're not just – you know, gifts from God. These are people that practice their butt off and obsessed over time the way that we obsess over a 15 second lick on YouTube. And yeah. so, uh, so yeah, I thought it, I thought it was great and it's, it's a phenomenal DVD. So he has two DVDs and he also has an accompanying book with the first DVD. So, um, what is it called? The drumming language of drumming. Mm-hmm. So you can get that book, um, which I actually have the book. I probably, I use the the video for entertainment and for inspiration, and then I use the book for actually working on stuff. But I think more than anything, Benny really brought into focus, along with Yost Nickel, uh, odd groupings brought it back into focus. Like, oh, they don't have to be played with my hands. Maybe I'm just playing the first. Maybe all of the odd numbers get played with my bass drum. So if it's fives, it's one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, you know, yeah. um, including five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, <laughs> if you're going to do the odd numbers. So. You know, I think that stuff was amazing, and once again, just the playing was great, and his drums always sound, sound so dang good. Yeah, uh, that's the thing; it's the touch. The touch yeah. is really important because his kit, you know, because he played the Modern Drummer Festival, and I was, you know, covertly checking everybody's drums out at the show, always sure. just seeing how they have these things tuned. <clears throat> you know, what's what's Jeff Watts do to make his drums sound so special? You know, yeah. and and they all just sound like drums. And Benny's drums, I mean. Quite frankly, when you just tap them, they don't they don't sound like how you would how they sound when he plays them. The, right. the rack tom was tuned a lot higher than I thought it would be, but when he hits it, it sounds really deep. Yeah. The, and the floor tom was tuned so low that there was like no tone whatsoever. Yeah, and it, but like when and he it, played it, it was like gorgeous. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I was here. I mean, we you know we had to set up his <clears throat> kit sonar during his camp. Sonar just set a brand new. Uh, whatever their affordable kit is, you know, um, but they sent one out. So we had to head it while he was here and watching him tune his drums. It was like, flap, flap for the floor, Tom. And I'm like, you want to, you want me to get in on that one? And he's like, no, why? And I was like, oh, it's a little, a little flappy there. And then he played it and I was like, why is it singing when he plays it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so everyone check out, obviously we don't have to tell you to check out Benny Greb, but if you want to learn more about him, what he's got going on, go to bennygreb.de. 
You can obviously get links to his DVDs there, but you can also check out what upcoming master sessions he has. He has these short-term camps, like three-day camps. Uh, There's still space in his September camp in Italy and still space in his uh, July camp in Germany. Uh, The September camp is an all-around drum camp, and the July camp is all about sound. And then his camps in March and in July in, let's see, in Germany and... Oh, and, and in America, those, those are already sold out. Uh, but you can check out everything there, bennygreb.de. He is a stud. Now it is time for a little gear review. Now, was this my pick of the week last week? Do you remember? It was, and you were going to give us – I think so. You are going to give us a follow-up yes. on it. <clears throat> Did you get to see any of the videos I posted? Yeah. It, it seems like it's a pretty magical microphone. It um, kind of is. So – uh, we should probably mention what the hell it is. It's the Audio Technica <laughs> AT2020 USBI. So Audio Technica has for a long time made the AT2020. That's like their affordable large diaphragm condenser microphone, and yep. it's in cardioid pattern. And that's like okay, I just need an overhead for my kit. That's the mic to get. It's I don't know how much it is. I think it's like maybe a hundred bucks. I mean they're really affordable, mm-hmm. and they're great podcasting microphones and everything. Well, I think maybe last year or the year before, they released that microphone as a USB microphone. So it could go straight into your computer. Right. And now they've released it as a USB-I microphone. So it can go straight into your computer or you can use the other cable and it has a lightning jack on it. It can go straight into your iPhone or iPad as long as it has a lightning jack. This thing is crazy. Um, it Now, the one thing I would say for somebody that thinks, what about – what are some of the other things out there in this price range like a Zoom – uh, well, uh, I I just checked out the Shure. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but it has like two little condensers that hook to your iPhone. Um, okay, so that's a perfect example. Whatever yeah. that is, and that, is that <clears> in the same price range? This is one hundred and fifty, yeah. by the way. It might be. Yeah, it's about that. Yeah. Okay, so one thing I like about this compared to either that, which by the way I have not used that at all, or a Zoom something like a Zoom has a camera and microphone set up together. Right. One thing I like about this is that the camera, which is your phone, doesn't is not attached to the microphone because you have a cable. So yeah. I can actually have this over my drum set like an overhead and then have my camera not be over my drum set. Yeah. And that to me that's is the cool. magic of this thing. <clears throat> um, I might get the camera in the perfect position, but that's the worst place to have the microphone. Yeah, right next right? to the ride symbol. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or that's where I put hats. my camera. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I might want like this really <coughs> cool angle that I can fit my iPhone into, but I don't want the microphone there. So that to me is the magic of this or what separates it from the other things. So real quick, here's how it is. The USB-I, uh, 2020 USB-I, it is a large diaphragm cardioid condenser microphone, uh, or sorry, large diaphragm condenser microphone in cardioid pattern. So it just picks up sound from the front. Uh, it has all the regular specs that you would assume for a, a decent large diaphragm microphone. As far as when you plug it into your iPhone, there's no app. There's no software. As soon as you plug it into your phone or your iPad, it becomes the default microphone source for your iPhone. Awesome. So you don't have to turn it on or anything. And and you'll see the act- the, the diaphragm inside the microphone, inside the uh, the housing, there's a blue LED light. So as soon as you plug it into your device – that light comes on and you know that that is now the default microphone for your device. So it's really simple. So when I'm recording those videos that you might have seen on Instagram and stuff, I didn't do anything other than just record a video like normal. And that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the other thing that you should know is it has a gain knob on the front of the microphone. So you can 
if if it was really far away, you could turn it up, or if you're really close to the drum set, you can turn it down. But one, you can get it down low enough that you could have this microphone literally three inches away from the snare, and it wouldn't clip at all. It's pretty amazing. Cool. Um, the other thing is, it comes with a tabletop tripod for podcasting. So, Mike, I mean, I, I'm literally going to take this microphone with me every time I travel in case we have to do the podcast from the road. Beautiful. It'll go straight into my iPhone, and it when you launch your Memos app that iPhones come with, mm-hmm. um, then it becomes the default recording device for that. So, so have you tested it? Um, <clears throat> what I'm always looking for is a microphone that can pick up your voice and then pick up drumming. So you, so if you can play and then talk afterwards, and not okay, have it be extreme one or the other. Right. So I would say in that case, <clears throat> you'd probably. What I had to do on the video that I put out that was me playing. So I put out two videos. One with my buddy Devin playing where I'm just walking around getting different sounds. The one that I put out with me playing where I'm talking, I had to go into my audio editor and boost the part of me talking because I had the mic solo for the drums. So so it definitely doesn't have its own built-in attenuator or or compression at all. Um, So, But, I I mean, it was pretty easy. I could just see where I played and where I talked, and I just made a split in the clip and then just juiced it by 10 dB. Yeah, cool. um, So, yeah, so so far – Loving it. I just had my first uh, band rehearsal with a new group today, and we put the mic in the middle of our room uh, facing away from me and towards them just because I was playing louder than they were and uh, recorded some video and some audio, and it came out great. Awesome. Um, so it could be good for band practice just for reference. I'm obviously going to take it on the road with me, and it'll be how I record my clinics for myself from now on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the good thing is I don't have to make it just for video. I could just record the audio just to have the audio, you know, and yeah. then where I put it could, you know, I mean, I could put it back at the sound desk at the guy that's doing front of house. And then my iPhone just becomes like a data drive of just storing the audio. So uh, it's pretty cool. And then I will say this as soon as because I would do this with anything I record, I take it um, off the phone, put it on the computer. And then I bring that into uh, Adobe Premiere and I mix the audio in there. I put some compression on it, sweeten the EQ a little bit. And then it's good. Now, my thought for this, guys, is this is $150. It does come with a, uh, an adapter to attach it to a normal microphone stand or boom stand or whatever. And it comes with the tripod thing. Um, my thought is this is for people that want to make Instagram videos and don't want to be bothered with mixing. You know, I'm not yeah. saying this is the best sound out there. But I just love the ability to get the microphone in a different place than the camera and that it doesn't clip. It just sounds good. And you can, you know, you can get capture the whole drum set with it. Uh, the other thing that's really cool is it comes with a USB cable. And that USB cable, if you plug that into your laptop, the microphone is the interface. So you don't need to plug into an interface and then into your laptop. So mm-hmm. uh, actually, when we do our podcast, I'll probably just go straight out of the microphone into my laptop USB. And then boom, it just recognizes recognizes it as a as a device. So it's pretty cool. Very cool. I mean, I, I would hope this sounds awesome, but I'm thinking like for Skype lessons, the one feature that I think it needs these all these things need is a a, a dB dimmer or something, so you yeah. can go from like plus ten to minus ten instantly. Right. So I can play and then hit the switch and I can talk. Yeah, yeah I mean, thing. I think if depending on if you had it somewhere near your kit that was within reach, obviously you can just use. Right on the front is this volume slider, so you can turn it up mm. and down. So as long as you could reach it, you could do that. Um, but yeah, that would be a really cool thing. Maybe even a pedal that was just a, a volume dimmer. You know? Yeah, right. I mean, something um, that would just be a, a quick dim, 20 yeah. dB or whatever it is, whatever it needs yeah. to be. No, I agree. But yeah, so 
All right, we have a few gear questions I want to try to knock out. So this one comes from Buzz. Um, with resonant, he- what resonant heads do you guys use on toms with coated heads? I assume he's talking about on the top. He has a Sonar Safari kit. He's looking for a muted but full tone, uh, more of a rock sound than jazz. Um, yeah, so it's a two-part question. We'll just stick with that one. So what resin heads do you guys use on toms with coated heads? You want to say muted but full tone. I would say put a coated head on the bottom. Yep. Uh, that's it. Agreed. Coated single ply. <clears throat> coated single ply with a coated double ply on top. If that's what you're using, that's going to give you that kind of muted but you don't need to tape it up sound right away. There you go. Um, okay. So his second question was um, the 16-inch bass drum on that kit doesn't have a port. Um, should he port it, or is it too small to get a good sound if he ports it? No, I think the port in that situation wouldn't even be for sound. It would be to reach in and change the muffling per room yeah. that you're playing in. Um, so for what you're saying, you're saying, first of all, he's got the – which one is it? The Sonar Jungle Kit? Sonar Safari, which has like a little 16-inch bass drum. Yeah. I love that he's got that kit and he's saying like, I want to get more of a rock sound. <laughs> so I think I know what he means. I, cause I honestly, I, I kind of get it. I, I had, uh, what's the Yamaha one, the Manukache kit. Yeah. I had that and I currently have a, um, a bop kit. And when I say I want a more of a rock sound, what I mean is I don't want a jazz sound. So yeah, you want a lower, thuddier. lower, thuddier. Exactly. So yeah, I would say definitely port the bass drum. Um, and you could do it with a little three inch port, get a, yeah. I think it's just, what is it? H O L Z holes, the yeah. cutter, just yeah. get that little cutter. It's like $10 at your local drum shop, cut the three inch porthole, and then you can just thread a, a towel in there in your set. Yeah. And if you're, if you're, if you need to mic it up, then just measure the, the, the head of your microphone and, and only cut the hole that big. Don't make it yeah. any bigger than that. There you go. All right. Next question is from Chris. Um, so he's playing a 1977 Ludwig kit in a heavy rock band, and he, he slams on them. So uh, a few of his toms detune and attention rods start to unscrew mm. themselves. So do we have any tricks or tips that we can do to prevent this? Yeah, I mean that's going to happen because, one, you're hitting hard and you're using a lower tuning. So it's a double whammy for that. Yeah. Um, what – what are those little plastic pieces? Are they just called lug locks? There's a whole bunch of them. That's why I was okay. gonna, there's lug locks. There's tuner fish. There's Canopus okay. um, makes one. I can't remember what they're called, but they're red things. There's there's tons of them. So if you just just Google lug locks, uh, yeah. and if you want to just go homemade, you can literally just thread a <clears throat> a, a nut underneath the hoop onto the, the tension rod, oh. and just lock it onto the lug casing. Yeah. It'll it'll lock it in place. Never Just even like, thought of that. That's yeah. a great idea. <clears throat> I mean, that's like a homemade way to do it. But that essentially all they do is all those things are just trying to keep the tension rod from moving around when you because yeah. when you crush the drum, the the hoop goes down for a millisecond, which over time is going to allow the tension rod to slowly back out. So you want yeah. something to lock the tension rod into the hoop so it doesn't move. <laughs> Dude, how come every point that you're making, you're like opening and closing your pen? Uh, it's, like, I'm not opening and closing. Oh, it's is just, that what you're, you're shaking it? It's just the it was tip like, of it. Every chick chick point and chick chick and the, every time you hit it. And I was like, what the hell? Why is does this so make emphatic? a decent? Does this make a good shaker? <laughs> it's pretty good timing. All right. So that makes All right, more so, sense. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Chris, Google lug locks or buy some some nuts and just screw them onto your tension rods. <laughs> Uh, all right. Next one is from um, David. 
What is the difference between the Black Beauty and the Superphonic? Ooh, that's a Mike Dawson question. Yeah, it's a good question because technically the Black Beauty is a Superphonic, it, but it's a brass Superphonic with a black nickel plated shell. So it's just the material is what's changing? <clears throat> yeah, Superphonic can be made of brass. It can be made of aluminum. It can be chrome plated. It can be nickel plated. Whoa. Okay. But what we think of as a Superphonic is aluminum shell with chrome plating. I got you. <clears throat> okay. But the Black Beauty is part of the Superphonic family. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's awesome. I think even back in the in the day, it wasn't even – there was no term Black Beauty. That, just, that was just a nickname for it. It was, mm. just a, it was just a black nickel brass Superphonic. So nice. the difference is the Black Beauty has a brass shell with nickel, black nickel plating. Superphonic has an aluminum shell with chrome plating. But you can also get a brass Superphonic. <laughs> <laughs> and there's your confusion. Enjoy that. <laughs> All right. Here's another gear question. Uh, this one comes from another Chris. I think we did answer a Chris before. Yeah, this is another Chris. Uh, he has a he purchased a stave shell and lug. He's building his own drum, so he purchased a stave shell and lugs. But he's trying to decide on the hoops. What is mm. the difference between triple flange, diacoust, and wood hoops? Well, I'm, I'm assuming he's just asking sound wise. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I would so think yeah, so. so you know, you always use a, a good term, which is spray, um, mm-hmm. and that you know those type of types of adjectives that actually create visuals in your head are, are beautiful. And so I remember when I switched to single flange tubes, you know, just the suicide hoops, you said, oh, I've, I've used that on my snare before, but it sprays a little too much. Yeah, exactly. And so that immediately made me think going backwards to triple flange die cast, I would be taking that away. So yep. do you find that a die cast hoop kind of takes out some of the overtone of the drum? It uh, it It takes out the... I mean, it's it's kind of it's hard to answer that yes or no because sometimes a diecast tube can give, can accentuate one overtone so much the drum rings more. Okay, <clears throat> I think a diecast tube by design makes a drum sound more focused and tighter, but that's not always a good thing. Right? No, no, <clears throat> like it just if, is. It yeah, just I mean, is a thing. If you have if you have like a real ringy steel drum and you and sometimes you put a diecast tube on it, it could it could just make that drum sing so much more on one frequency that you might just hate it. Right. You may hate the way it sounds. So a triple flange will have a more complex range of overtones. I mean, I can definitely tell you that. So I have those angel hoops on my mm-hmm. USA custom fourteen by five and a half maple snare drum. There is not a more normal uh, snare drum in Gretsch's lineup than what I have, and. You would think those hoops would make it just uncontrollable, and it's the opposite. It was actually really quite focused and a little pingy and poingy with the diecast hoops that it came with. Uh-huh. I put on those angel hoops, and it became snappier um, <clears throat> and it, it was a little gushier. Um, yeah. it, didn't, it didn't hit me back so much when I hit it. I kind of laid into the drum more instead of it throwing my stick back up at me. So Yeah, so I, I would uh, say diecast, like as we both diecast, make it die- – <laughs> It's the end of the day here, bro. <laughs> okay, good point. Good point. My bad. I did this to you. Diecoast. Uh, die Triple flange is your all-purpose. <laughs> right. Will work on any drum. If you're a super duper hard hitter, you'll you'll eventually dent up a die, uh, triple flange hoop. Diecast hoop. You're not going to dent them yeah. up. You might break them if you're if you're playing like a caveman. But yeah, but for the most part, you're going to be good. The one just, thing I will say though, and I've noticed this, and maybe <clears> you have too, but 
one thing I get out of the hoops more than anything is the playing surface itself. Playing on a wood hoop is way different than playing on a die cast hoop, which is different yeah. than playing on a single flange hoop. And and the cross stick changes quite a bit as well. Um, so I kind of equate it to using different sticks on your drums doesn't make a huge difference, but it makes a massive difference on the ride cymbal. Yeah. Using different hoops, it makes a slight difference to the drum for sure, but it makes a pretty big difference on my cross stick and when I actually play on the hoop. And I am somebody that plays, if you ever see me kind of solo and stuff, I play on the rim of my drum quite a bit as an mm-hmm. alternative ride cymbal surface. So, Yeah, and I think the, the feel of it too. I think a die cast totally. is very rigid. It can be shocking if you're, yes. <laughs> if you're not really careful yeah. that'll get you uh, some tennis elbow <clears throat> yeah triple flange will just it'll just feel a little bit more comfortable and a wood will just sound you know obviously more organic and yep but you know i wouldn't get a wood hoop if a, stave shell is is the odd factor here because a stave shell is going to have a certain sound that might already be focused and controlled i kind of feel like just a triple flange hoop would be uh, yeah. perfect for it maybe a triple flange and then buy one wood hoop for the top and just yeah. use that just as your alternative see. yeah i'm with you okay Next question. We've got – we're going to shift into the topic of auditions. Ooh, doggy. So this one comes from Jacob. Uh, this came in last month, so hopefully we didn't miss his upcoming audition. But he's auditioning for a music school. Um, he's 19 years old, and he's, he's – it's a three-year course um, – so yeah, he's auditioning for a three-year course that prepares him for a conservatory audition. Okay. <clears throat> so he's 19. So do you guys have any experience with these kinds of auditions or any tips or ideas or approaches that could guide him in the right direction? So he's got the list of the audition requirements as well. <clears throat> Play two tunes with a band. One must include a short solo. Improvisation to a groove. Um, a fairly short prima vista, which I don't know what that means, but he says in parentheses snare and kit, and then ear training, identifying major and minor chords, singing in, uh, notes in a chord, um, melodic dictation, rhythmic dictation. Yeah, I mean, did you? Well, first of all, did you have to <clears throat> audition for any of the schools you went to? Yeah, I did a ton of auditioning throughout. Okay. I mean, it's all, and it's all pretty. I mean, he's in he's in Denmark, so. It, it could be different from what happens in the U.S., but it, it seemed like even from my sixth grade all-county band audition up through graduate school, it was pretty much the same procedure. There was, you know, had to play some grooves. You had to demonstrate a swing style, a Latin style, a, a bossa style. So it might be like swing, mid-tempo. It might be a funk or a rock beat. Uh, it might be a bossa, and then they might ask for a mambo or something. Right. And then maybe some brushes or a waltz. I mean, that was kind of it. It was like the, just the the most general kind of styles that yeah. you had to be proficient in. And then I would have to trade four bar solos with myself. That happened a lot. It was very right, yes. only a few auditions where there was actually a band or that, a bass player there. Yeah, that was pretty rare. Um, I'm with you. And <clears throat> for some reason, whoever is auditioning you always picks the one groove that you know the name of but you've never practiced it and <laughs> yeah. and they'll just say just give me like a like give me like a reggaeton feel and you're like i'm sorry <laughs> you gotta be kidding me you sure you yeah. don't want like a samba and seven eight i got that one down yeah um, well, i think that's a, a good point is because i i definitely bit off more that i can chew one of my auditions i thought it was all cool and i was like he's like what do you want to play i was like well, i know this african thing and let me play that and i didn't really know it so <laughs> i would not and also i also screwed up on another audition where it was like 
<clears throat> we were just this was for a jazz school, so we were, he was like, let's play some standards. Do you know this tune? And I'm like, yeah, I've heard it. Let's play it. He goes, no, do you know it? Like oh. that. It was part of the 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 audition was also the interview. Like uh-huh. I should I should have said no. I don't know that song. Let's do right. another one. It would have yeah. been better for me to say, sorry, I don't know that groove, or sorry, I don't right. know that song. Maybe we can try something else that I right. feel more comfortable in. Right? I'm like, yeah, let's just wing it. Like that. Oh. That was a red flag of yeah. you know, no, you're not quite yeah, ready yeah. for this. Yeah, and they and the thing is, when <clears> you're dealing with those. People that actually are in the know, they even if you're taking a solo, they know if you have the head of the tune in while you're soloing. They yeah. can hear it in your playing. Exactly. Or or if you're if you always look up at the end of every four bars, like, do you want me to get out of the solo now? And they're like, <laughs> Well, we're still in the head. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You're still you're still in your course there. Take it. Um, yeah. so yeah. So I think the most important thing for any nineteen year old, and I've gone through this so many times with my students, please Take it seriously, but do not freak out if for some reason you don't get in. This career is so long-lasting. You, you can't possibly have the foresight yet to understand that you will be playing this instrument for the rest of your life. This will not be your defining moment. You will always be in control of your destiny, and a school will not be. So I hope you do get in, but if you don't, don't lose your mind. Just send me an email and be like, I didn't get in, and you should answer my question earlier, and I'll talk. I'll call you on the phone, man. I'll talk you through this. We're gonna. It's gonna be all good. So yeah, I mean, I hope. Uh, I hope it hasn't happened yet. But my number one piece of advice would be think musically because the person you're auditioning for does not care about how fast you are or how much you can blaze around the drums so play music make music with everything if you're sight reading a snare drum part and it looks like the easiest thing you've ever seen in your in their life throw some dynamics in there make it give it some shape make it give it some phrasing that's what they're looking for they're looking for musicianship they care less about how fast you can play yeah it's not it's not a drum contest it's you're trying to get into a music school (laughs) and they they want to make better musicians cool well Crush some All questions, right. buddy. Yeah, we. St- I'm gonna. That's it for now. We're we're running out of time. We still have a slew more. We got some more in today. So, and we got some more audio questions. We need to get Sweet. back to. Awesome. So thanks for keep sending them in. Mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. If we haven't got to yours yet, I promise you we will uh, within the next two or three years. Yeah. <laughs> Probably a year and a half after the most important audition of your life. That's when we'll answer your question. <laughs> so, dude, before we get to our picks of the week, I think my pick of the week probably a month ago or so was A&F drums in general. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was just kind of a fan. I took my own advice. I ordered two snare drums. Two of them? Yep. Dang, I got, boy. Did you yeah. get them yet? No, no, no. Uh, they said I talked to, to Rami over there, and he said they're, they're backed up because they're doing their NAM prep right now right, to yeah. have their first I mean, the company's only six and a half months old I so know, they came out blazing yeah and so they're getting ready for their first nam showing uh but i ordered a rude boy snare which is like the single lug brass snare i got it in a three by 13 cool. and then i ordered their uh kind of their classic brass snare drum in a five and a half by 14 and uh yeah i'm, I'm really excited to check it out so um Obviously, as a Gretsch artist, uh, this is just fun stuff that I want to own because mm-hmm. I'm a fan of drums. But obviously, as soon as I get them, then I'll, I'll do some sound demos and tell you guys my thoughts on them. But I'm really, really excited. And I think their prices are pretty affordable, to be honest, uh, for the amount of work that goes into this. And I'll, I think when I get them, I, I should probably do a bigger review. But I, I didn't know until I spoke to them on the phone. Like, they're rolling their own shells. These are not – I mean, they're yeah. doing it all. So yeah. it's – it's a pretty cool story. So, yeah, so I just want to let you know I took my own advice and got some snare drums. Sweet. You know Sweet that Ron Danette's going to be like, um, <clears throat> where's my order? 
You're on the list, Ron. Trust me, buddy. You, you have I mean, my. I know. It never fails. I'm going to order five or six snare drums every six months. So you know, it happens. It's. I mean, I just ordered another one. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? You did? But, yeah, I did. We'll talk what? about it. We'll talk about it after it arrives. We'll okay. See what it is. <laughs> all, right, all right. Well, let's get to the picks of the week. What is your pick of the week, sir? Pick of the week for me is something I just finished reviewing, and I'm going to kind of give it. A, I'm going to scoop myself, so I'm scooping okay. the magazine, but. Uh, Tamba put out this classic cymbal stand, uh, which is designed to be very similar to the old vintage 60s, like super lightweight, compact okay. cymbal stands. Because uh, I have a few of those and I love them, but they're they're super flimsy. I, mean, okay. I take them to gigs and, and you can breathe on them and they'll fall over sometimes. Oh, wow. Um, but this, you know, it's it's the same compact size. It's It folds down, I think, 20 couple inches. You can literally throw it in into a cymbal bag it'll fit in there it's wow. so compact and it's really lightweight but it's but but the top the top portion of the stand is solid steel so it's it's a little bit more stable okay the t- the tilter is is much better than those old vintage things now is it still a clickety click tilter or oh is it- yeah it's a tooth tooth okay. tilter kink, yeah kink, but kink, it, kink. but the old ones i mean the thumb screws are like, <laughs> like oh yeah they're, they're so bad yeah yeah and, yeah but I I love the way and they make your cymbal sound better. They really do. I was kind of skeptical that a thin lightweight stand could be better than a huge double brace stand. Really, but it, it definitely does. It definitely. I mean, it's wow. It's subtle stuff, but of course, of course, it it doesn't. You know, it just there's a certain high end choky sound from like a real big cymbal stand that I noticed that you know when it you know, push comes to shove, I'll use whatever's in front of me. But of course, if I'm trying to you know really get a cymbal to open up and speak. The really old thin stuff is the best sound, but this I think this is like maybe a hundred bucks. Um, and I took it to my New Year's gig and, and I used it with the ride cymbal and, and, a, and it was a medium heavy twenty inch ride cymbal and it it didn't didn't move didn't budge and it dude that's awesome and it's super lightweight so you could get like three of them and then be done you can carry all three of those in a cymbal bag along with like a basic set of cymbals oh, and not so kill cool. yourself so. Check it out. It's just called the Classic Stand. Is it out yet, or is it coming out of Nam? <clears throat> no, it's available. It came out last awesome. Nam, so it's, it should be available everywhere, right now. Wow, that's fantastic. Cool. Well, my pick of the week this time is actually a company called Nelson Drum Co. They don't make drums. Uh, what the Nelson Drum Company is is a guy that's refurbishing drums and then selling them, and so he's just putting his skills to use by finding old vintage drums, refurbishing them, getting them ready to be played and cleaning them properly and restoring them and then selling them. And so I personally think, and maybe you and I have talked about this in the past, but I think the only mom and pop shops that really stand a chance of not being touched by the big box companies are people that carry vintage gear because it's the one thing that the big box stores will never do and don't want to do. And so you don't have to compete with margins with another store when no one's doing this stuff. And every every kid is a one of a kind uh, type of thing. So he's got drum sets for sale. I'm looking at a... Oh, a 66 Ludwig club date in blue sparkle, uh, 12, 14, 20, and this matching snare for 1100 bucks. Yeah. Um, and is he in Nashville? He is. So, yeah, um, so. so Bryson full disclosure was one of my students for about eight years oh, cool. and then, and he was one of, you know, he was a kid. Then all of a sudden he was kind of like the cool kid, you know, I was like, Oh, you're going on your own path here, buddy. And then he was. <laughs> 17 years old and i was like dude you're an artist and i didn't i didn't even want to slow him down and so he went and did his own thing and he toured and and then what was funny was i was liking his stuff on instagram not knowing who he was it was just nelson drumco 
And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is cool. This is kind of like a one-man show of Revival Drum Shop, which I'm a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, I'm like, Bryson? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, and um, yeah, and so he's restoring snares. And dude, I mean, I'm looking right now, single flanged hoop, 1920s Ludwig Universal Snare, 5 by 14 for 325 yeah, it's, it's it's very very affordable pricing I've noticed. Yeah, I mean that's awesome. Um, he's got vintage symbols, he's got rentals, and so um, so yeah. I just I think this is my pick of the week not because of the actual company, even though I think it's fantastic. This is my pick of the week because I think this is something that for people that go, man, I don't know what my place in this thing is as a drummer. You don't understand how vast this industry is. Maybe your place could be at a magazine like Modern Drummer. Maybe you work at Minol Symbols or at Zildjian Symbols as an A&R. Or maybe you just love drums so much and that you want to restore them and get them back in circulation so people are playing them. So uh, check out nelsondrumco.com. Uh, and like I said, he's got uh, bass drums, full drum sets, snare drums, cymbals, and he's also doing rentals out of uh, Nashville, Tennessee. So very cool stuff indeed. So you had already heard of it. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, there's not going to be too many vintage drums floating around the world right. that I'm not keeping my eyes on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, and I like his site because the photos are always really nice, really yeah. gorgeous, and I think that goes a long way of showing the amount of care that he has for the instruments. Like, yeah. some you know, I bought a lot of stuff on Craigslist, and and you look at the photos, and it's like all oh, gnarly. It's in someone's dingy basement. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll buy this, but eh, and, it's and yeah, and you can't even see up. the dings. I mean, like. That was one thing when I saw the first um, one of the the Ludwig because that's I want to have one of those in my house as a drum as much as decoration. Like I just love I love the way those old you know nineteen twenties nineteen thirties snare drums look. And I was like, oh, it's just one picture. And then I click on it, and there's like twenty pictures, and they're all super high res. I can see every scratch, every ding, every divot um, if it has any. And that's what I want to see if I'm going to spend any money on a drum. Mm. So I think it's pretty awesome. Uh, so definitely check it out, Nelson Drum Co. And, uh, yeah, I'll keep you guys posted on how it goes. So all right, buddy. So I will see you. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, closing time here at yeah. the Modern Drummer office. Oh, that's awesome. Man. <laughs> well, have, have an amazing night. I'm off to New York to hang with JP and Matt. I will give them your best. And when does that happen? This weekend? Yeah, I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow. And then it starts on Thursday. Sweet. Awesome. Thursday and Friday and Saturday, Common Thread Drum Camp in upstate New York. Should be a blast. And then uh, we'll get back. We'll hang. So have a great week, buddy. You too. Everyone have a good one. Peace. <laughs>